This week we have a returning guest. Professor Greg Keith is a professor in the School of Natural and Built Environment at Queen's University, but he's currently a visiting critic at Cornell University in America. So, uh, Greg, thanks very much for getting up and joining us. Yeah. Hi, Brian. Nice and early here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, the, the last time we talked to you, you were in the, the Lake District and now you're in Cornell. So I'm <laughs> I'm not sure, is, is there some kind of word for pandemic jealousy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's been it's been quite interesting, really. I, I obviously I, I was head of school in in Queens, and after five years, you get a sabbatical. So I'm I'm on sabbatical at the moment. So that's like a that's a reward for staying sane as, as head of school. Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You, yeah, you get the escape. <laughs> <laughs> And the because um, I was thinking about it because when I had like what what's the weather when I was looking at the weather forecast at Cornell last week it was, it was kind of snowy is it, is it still snowy Yeah it's 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 well it's just it's all melted now but I think it's going to snow again this week it's in the transition now between warm and and cold it it the, the you know it's usually warm till middle of November and then suddenly goes cold it's quite an interesting climate really yeah, because I, I was just the premise of a kind of visiting scholar uh, coming into winter when snow. It just sounds like some kind of romantic comedy you see on Netflix. So I'm not sure <laughs> if if it's that exciting in real life. Um, Cornell. I mean, just uh, before before we get into, it, I mean, what, what's it like? Because I had a I had a look at their website. It does like like some kind of liberal utopia. Is it is it is it quite nice? Or yeah, it, it is. It is like a liberal utopia. It, it's a bit like um, British universities in the 1980s. Brian, you know, you know, before before we got KPIs and and um, you know the REF and um, National Student Survey, you know, th- things got quite a quite a quite a modest pace compared to the UK. So yeah, it's quite pleasant. That is interesting. Do you, do you think that's unique to um, Cornell? Because I, I always thought American universities would be quite uh, capitalist and all about the money. Huh? Yeah, I think I think Cornell um, is is very geared towards um, liberal arts and equality and things like that. You know, they say no student will not come to Cornell because they're short of money, so they means test everybody. You know, it, it's it's got probably the widest range of of um, sort of different sorts of people in the whole of the um, the, the the sort of. Um, um, the Ivy League, so it is quite an interesting place from that point of view, you know. And uh, you, you mean your colleagues back home? I'm sure you probably know. I've I've been striking last week, um, and when I was talking to some some friends at Queens, you know, about the various issues. I mean, for me, I I don't really understand who benefits from this whole marketization of universities and the actual stress and the RAF and. You know all these things that everything's a bit of research now and research funding and I mean, are you kind of seeing it with? I know, I know probably you maybe don't want to get into the whole the politics of it, but do you kind of wonder yourself? I mean, what was the sense in going down this route of you know where half the population are now going to university and you know it's so much money and fees and everything else? Yeah, well, I, well, I, I think that people should be able to get educated. I think I think all education should be free at the point of delivery. I think that's definitely definitely true. I, I, I think what well, I think one of the problems is with, with this marketization is that, that everybody has to be world class, you know. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether you whether you're at um, you know Lincoln University or or you're at Cambridge, you know, the narrative will be exactly the same at both places. It's crazy, you know, you know, and and, and I think that's been one of the one of the problems with it that the that the that there's been no sort of differentiation in the market really. 
you know, and, and, and which if, if you were going to make a market, you'd you'd have created really good places to learn trades, really good places to you know to to learn to do other manual tasks or learn to you know care or something. But instead, everything every the university experience is the same for everybody, you know, which I think is a bit of a shame. Mm, that, could, that could be an interesting slogan for a university. Come, come to us. We're average, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we know our limits, you know. Uh, so uh, during lockdown, one of the things that I discovered is I discovered YouTube, right? Which kind of sounds a bit weird, and that I've been I'm an internet expert. He's been on the, on the internet for twenty five years. I'm only kind of recently discovering YouTube. Um, but once you get into kind of rabbit hole, you discover all these kind of fantastic little niches. And one of them is a whole area of kind of urban planning and environment and all, all your kind of stuff. And there's a guy, I think I sent you a link, uh, Not Just Bikes. It's like yeah. a Canadian guy who moved to Holland and he does these little videos of, of life in Holland and the various transport policies. And it's very entertaining. I mean, that kind of YouTube format, you know, it's, it's quite an entertaining way of conveying um, different material. Um, so I've been thinking quite a lot, you know, about urban design and i know we talked about this before you know how the kind of pandemic's going to affect things and you're in the, the land of the free and and one of the one of the videos i was watching was um you made this kind of comment that after world war ii all the american cities have been have been spared from the, from the violence so all the returning gis what, what they decided to do was destroy the cities themselves <laughs> by to, to make uh, car parks and you had all these fantastic downtown areas that were kind of leveled and you kind of see these um photos from the from the era of uh, car parking garage uh, flats for miles yeah. around so so yeah. when you're in the states i mean did you kind of think about these kind of issues of of kind of urban design and how we can yeah, it, it's, it's been amazing being here actually because because where Cornell is, is the town is called Ithaca it's 50,000 people but it covers the area of which it has a million people in Greater Manchester so it's, oh. it's, it's, it's amazing and, and um, I don't have a car so I, I walk this this town city you know and, and it's and it's incredible you know you, you never meet anyone else walking you know the, there are huge car parks in the in the city center um the town center has a range of shops but there's no cafes no no social infrastructure very little social infrastructure you know and and you know the car is king you know um Many of the things that you that you get taken to by other members of the faculty are just random places out of town for say a which is a restaurant and it's in a lot in a field out next to a forest or something you know th th there's no connection between things unless you have a car it's really really interesting and and the cars all drive incredibly slowly which is the other thing you know they 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 trundle along at twenty miles an hour. And, and there's hundreds of crossroads. There's no roundabouts. So every junction is a four-way crossroad and you have to stop and see if there's cars coming and then the cars negotiate and then they cross. And so it takes people hours to get around this thing. It's it's quite quite different from Europe. And I don't know how um, retrofitable it is for other forms of transport. You know, the, the density is so low. I can't imagine anything but personal transport ever working. So. 
It's like the scene in National Lampoon's European Vacation where you know that stereotype Americans are terrified of roundabouts. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, just, he just keeps going around. Uh, or what do you call them? Is it turning turning circles? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> only one in the whole of Cornell, in the whole of Ithaca. There's one roundabout apparently. And are people terrified of going near yeah, it? Yeah, there they are. People avoid. People drive drive miles to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I know you had to say even in the states, younger people aren't buying as many cars. And they're not driving. Remember, in the past, like as soon as you were sixteen, you were getting the car and your license. So I mean, to say even in America, that kind of trend is starting to change. Yeah, certainly, certainly in cities, that's definitely yeah. the case. And and electric mobility is becoming very popular. I was in New York City a couple of weeks ago, and there's thousands of people on electric scooters. You know, oh, on, yeah. on the road, on the pavement, you know, everywhere, you know, with no lights on and at night, it's, it's quite amazing, you know, but, but, the, but, but yeah, there's definitely a change happening in, in, in cities, you know, definitely. I, I think, I think the burbs are still quite full of cars, you know. And when you, did you see the electric scooter thing? Was it a, was it a positive or were you kind of fearful for your life? Well, well <laughs> both. I, 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 think, yeah. I think it's fantastic because obviously it's a really cheap way to get around and, and it's very sustainable. But at the moment, the, the roads aren't made for it. So there's people on the pavements driving, riding along at quite speed because the American scooters go faster than the UK. UK and Ireland oh, yeah. are governed by mm. EU and we're limited to mm. 20 yeah. kilometers an hour. They, they do 20 miles an hour. So oh, wow, which yeah. is quite a lot faster, and you you really notice that when you're out and about, and but but I do think electric mobility is the future. I, I, I think I think it's going to really change cities. Yeah, I mean it can be transformational, especially this kind of electric bikes. Because it is say one of the main, like in Holland, now electric bikes outsell normal bikes. And they said for one of the main benefits is older people and it kind of yeah. keeps them cycling for longer because they can get a bit of assistance. So you can see from that perspective, it could be quite transformational on the people who maybe can't, aren't fit enough to do five, 10 miles on a normal bike, you know, electric mobility opens that up. Yeah, well, you, you can see that there was an article um, the other day in the cycling press that the e-bike industry will be worth something like 300 billion by the end yeah. of the, the decade, you know, like incredible amounts because the whole world's getting into it. And you see a lot of it in, in um, Ithaca. Lots of people take their children around on electric cargo bikes, you know, with the kids sat on the back. Oh, yeah, you know, the Dutch style. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Dutch style things. And yeah. there are quite a lot of them around here now. So so, so things are, are changing, you know. Bikes are low maintenance and quite cheap compared to cars, and they do the same thing really get get you around. And there's a yeah. car share here that's quite good. I, I've used the car share a few times, where I pay eight dollars an hour to hire a car. For example, I I had to come back to England and I needed a, a COVID test, and you can only get a drive-through COVID test. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I had to hire a car in order to get a COVID test. And, and then, and, and it was it was like quite a, quite a bizarre experience because the COVID test was three hundred dollars, wow, right? Yeah. Which I could claim on on the insurance that Corn- the health insurance Cornell had given mm-hmm. me. So it's three hundred dollars. I had to get to the to this out of town sort of giant pharmacy that was about the size of I don't know, it was probably the size of City Hall in Belfast. It's yeah, big, big megastore. It's a yep. pharmacy, and and then mm-hmm. I the sign I said. COVID testing this way. So I went around the corner and then, and then it said, tune your radio to, to 107 FM for instructions. 
And this sort, of, <laughs> this sort of American woman came on and said, do not open your windows. Stay in the queue. Someone will come to you with a test. So we had to do the test in the car and then give them the test back in, in this sort of, and, and the person was dressed in like a, an NBC nuclear suit, you know, even though they were taking this little <laughs> test off. Yeah. So it was quite, it was quite amazing, you know, but America's yeah. really good at, at making things extreme. You know, it's one, one of the things it's really good at. Uh, we when we were in the in the states, we used to go to the drugstores, and you could buy uh, like five hundred pill bottles of like paracetamol and ibuprofen. <laughs> and I think, I think it took us about ten years actually to use this ginormous bottle. Uh, do you know? And Europe, everything's limited to sixteen to stop <laughs> yeah, you over, ex- overdosing. You know? Yeah, exactly. And think and and in the, where, where you are in Cornell, I mean, is there uh, is there and that, that's kind of curious. You say even in kind of like a kind of very liberal town, it, it's still quite car dependent. Um, so you, you think even like when you go around America, even more rural areas and across, I mean, the car very much is still king, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, well, well. Even and, and they're bigger than cars. They're they're, they're these Utes, you know, these SUVs. With SUV. Pickup, and and yeah. they're, they're they're absolutely enormous, you know. That yeah. And, and Ford one fifties and stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and and, mm-hmm. and they they have. I, I I the first car I hired here was a a dot a Dodge Grand Caravan, and it was enormous. It had eight eight seats in it. And and it, it was like wider than a normal car, and it had like a five liter engine, you know, and and it, it was an automatic. It and I just felt it was just like eating the planet as it went along, you know. Yeah, it's crazy because I mean you probably noticed, but the, the American interstate system was developed during the Cold War with the ability to carry tanks. So that's yeah. just kind of why the roads were are so wide and so numerous, you know, it's kind of part of the defense mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. The there's time. some, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hilbersheimer did some, who re- was a sort of arch- German architect urbanist, did some really interesting um, Cold War city designs, which were all about distributing people around the country so that one bomb couldn't get everyone, you know, because we were very worried about, you know, one bomb hitting New York paralyzing the country so they were wondering whether they could split new spread new york around around the state far enough apart so airburst blasts wouldn't get everybody you know so there was lots of really interesting cold war studies yeah i'm, I'm ex uh covid like a bit it's <laughs> not, not quite as extreme so i mean uh, since we last talked i mean i kind of wonder has somebody initial utopia uh, ideas starting to kind of fall by the wayside because I, I know the last time we talked to I me, mean, Belfast was experimenting with uh, more cycle lanes, and I know you probably haven't been back in a while, but a lot of that kind of stuff is has fallen by the way the wayside, and it seems we're as, as bad as ever for for traffic jams and people using their cars and yeah, and, and that. Is, I mean, is that? Yeah, I think I think that's interesting. I I I, I think I think generally there's been a slight retrenchment, but not always. Certainly, I, th- I think obviously the little parklets on the Ormore Road and things are still there, aren't yeah. they? You know, um, yeah. some of the stuff in Queens, you know, um, Rachel Grady designed those, and, and they've, they've been really quite successful. But 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 I think I, I think I think having talked to Belfast City Council, they're 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 really keen on change. You know, that they they they're just trying to work out how to how to have. How to affect it in policy? Policy is always slower than than reality. You know, it takes time to to do things. I, I think like the Million Trees project is a good example of that. That that you know that that rapid deployment isn't easy because there's 
issues to do with whether the tree roots hit services and whether people want them outside there and they're waiting for all the complaints about leaves landing on people's cars, you know, and all these different yeah. things. And, and and so it ends up being quite difficult to, it sounds so easy, but it's actually quite difficult to, to do in a, in a, a rapid way. You know, you have, you have to take time and we haven't really got much time. I think that's one of the, the problems about, about the position we find ourselves in. We're, when it, the climate emergency is a sort of a slightly slow emergency, you know, COVID was a fast emergency, but 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 the climate emergency is sort of a slow emergency. It's a funny pace. You know, when someone says you've got eight years till the really serious tipping points, you know, that's a that's a funny measure of time, isn't it? We, we you know, two weeks we can we understand an emergency yeah. in a couple of weeks, but eight years, it just seems just a little bit too far ahead for us to do anything. It's kind of, well, you, you will know this when you're students, if you give them like three weeks for an essay, they'll leave it the night, the night before. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we all do that. We're all creatures of deadlines. Yeah. Uh, the, the green stuff is fascinating because, I mean, I am like of a, of a hippie disposition, you know, I cycle and walk and vegetarian. I, I voluntarily buy tofu the whole nine yards, you know. But I think it is a very hard, this kind of climate emergency stuff, it's hard to deal with, it's hard to process. And even I find myself switching off because it's just like we're all going to die. Like, what the hell do you do? And it's 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 hard to kind of um, make this stuff less. You know, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. end times. You know, there has to yeah. be some way of of, of, of softening I can, it. I, I, I can see that. I had I had a student a couple of years ago who got severe eco anxiety from yeah. being part of my studio to the point where he couldn't get up in the morning. You know, and and he was so so depressed. But but actually, I th- I think he found. He found the agency sort of cured it, so he started doing things, you know, and 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 that made him feel better, you know. And I and I think there is something about about looking at at personal issues rather than global issues, you know. You know, is, yeah. is one way you can deal with it. Even though I'm not massively into folk politics, I know we need bigger things than that. But I think it does it does help people, you know. Well, it's, it's that idea. Is what's that cliche? But you you put on your um, your oxygen mask first before helping others. You know. You <laughs> yeah, to, exactly. You, yeah. You, you can you can only sort yourself out. Yeah. And uh, in from from the last time we've talked, we've had this kind of uh, the great resignation, which is another fascinating kind of social phenomenon. Because for the last few years, everyone's been telling us how um, AI and automation was going to destroy all our jobs yeah. and the opposite story in that there's a skill shortage in practically every industry going and a people shortage and not only even even in the states I think they said they're like uh, 100,000 teachers short yeah. and they, it's everywhere you go there's just a staff shortage so I mean if you have any kind of uh, views on that kind of the great resignation or the, or the take your job and shove it as they're calling it well yeah, it's interesting that it's, it's coincided with the, with the maximum wealth differ- differential in history hmm. You know, basically, you know, um, I I have experience of of architecture offices and and every recession salaries went down, but the partner's salaries went up, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's it's gone to the point where a friend of mine who ran an urban design practice in the 1970s, as a partner, he used to get a 10% um, uplift on a typical um, architect that employed salaries, so the salaries were incredibly flat, and he was only making ten percent extra. And now partners in firms are making ten times more than than people in in practice. 
you know so so i think and and a lot of my students say join a a smaller architecture firm that hasn't got too many partners because you'll get paid more because the partners yeah. get paid so much you know and and i, and I think we, we we need a rebalancing of 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 sort of the economics of work at some point yeah, I mean that's it. I mean, because it says at the moment people people have the power really to kind of uh, to kick back against poor salary and unfair conditions and you know all the rest of it. Yeah, and and also you know I, I think in in Europe food is cheap. You know actually you can live quite cheaply in Europe compared to America. Food is very expensive in America. You know uh, certainly if you you know I'm vegetarian too, and so I, I don't buy you know I don't go to McDonald's where you can buy a burger for. 99 cents but but things like you know peppers or you know sweet potatoes or broccoli are, are at least twice as expensive as europe oh i, I know all about it because we used to go to whole foods or whole paycheck yeah. as americans call it and i remember one time there was a, a single apple was three dollars yeah yeah and a liter of freshly squeezed orange juice is 21 dollars like, <laughs> yeah exactly you know you know and, and obviously we we our our agricultural system is is has been funded mm-hmm. by by europe you know and by by leveling up of different farms systems around europe you know from small italian farmers you know and french farmers you know that the, the, they were subsidized so the price of food was relatively cheap mm-hmm. you know when, when i heard you were in new york state i, I kind of Took my mind back to do you know the story of uh, like intentional communities? I forget how is is Oneidan yeah, in the nineteenth yeah. century. Yeah, uh, I was kind of curious. Have we seen any of that materializing? Because I, I think it's an interesting phenomenon if people can work from anywhere in the world, and people still like community and to be social. I mean, you would think that. Is there kind of because I hear like anecdotal stories of people like kind of house sharing in Portugal or in Thailand, and you'd be kind of interested to see it is 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 that kind of because you I mean you will know from studying history and being an academic that everything kind of repeats itself. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah. Not like kind of Victorian age, and I'm kind of wondering will we see like an intentional communities kind of coming back as, as people are more flexible but still need community yeah well i i, I think i think you certainly in the in the states you know a, 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 um you know a, a lot of um, wealthy people left new york city yeah. during the pandemic and, and moved up the hudson you know to albany or or you know to 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 ski resorts sort of place, places where they they and northern want to i've been told northern want to move back you know lawyers are, are demanding that they work at home four days a week and they don't they don't come in you know and that they are now you know transforming those neighborhoods into into these sort of workplace cafe society thing where they go to work in a cafe so so i i think i think things are happening like that i think i think there's there's a mobility amongst people i I found it even you know i'm still working at queens even though i'm in america because unlike i'm talking to you because because we've got virtual ways of getting around now you know i've been to about six conferences since the summer but i haven't actually traveled anywhere to go to any of them they've all been online you know there's a real big change in 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 the sort of I, I think that's the bit of it that we never saw coming that has really changed things which is which is a zoom teams sort of world you know which is really connecting us in a different way with with people 
But how are you, how are you finding it? Because I, I know it's kind of friends. I mean, I'm, I'm not too bad. I don't do too much Zooms, but I know what are friends are kind of ready to crack up if I have to do another Zoom or Teams call, you know? Yeah. It, it can be hard work sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think teaching on Zoom is really hard work. I, 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 the more people are on at once, the harder it is. When it's one-to-one, most of my yeah. stuff is with re- my researchers or or with uh, members of staff. Yeah. So so it's, it's mainly one-to-one. But yeah, I agree. When it gets to, you know, I did, I did a lecture in... in um, in Holland to 250 people and trying to work out whether any of them were getting it or understanding yeah. it or feeling it, you know, it was, it was really difficult to tell, you know, you don't see that sort of, you see loads of initials on the screen. <laughs> you don't even see the glazed look in their face, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but, but, but I think it's changing lots of practice, you know, whether it's, you know, if I, I was talking to a lawyer who works, you know, across the, um, the country here and, and they were traveling once a week to LA, they're a music lawyer and they traveled once a week to LA and they haven't been there for a year. And yet the contracts have still been dealt with. And yeah. so, so it, and, and then, you know, so, so that could be a really, a really, you know, big change, you know, that, that actually we might reduce the amount of, amount of ability. There's certainly a lot less flights from Manchester to Belfast and, and there's, there's only one a day at the moment and they used to be full. There used to be like oh. four a day, and there wasn't a spare seat, you know, on on any of the planes. So there's a change. I have a friend. He's a like a lawyer in Silicon Valley, and she was saying before this, her average travel expenses was a hundred thousand dollars a year. Because um, one of the things, if you're like a solicitor in America, they work you like a dog, but you yeah. get to stay in kind of nice hotels and you get business class and all this here. And she said, with the pandemic, you know, switching to Zoom the law firm was saving an absolute fortune, you know, in traveling expenses. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then also she said, like, it's just unnecessary because a lot of time you, you were, you were heading halfway across the country just for like a one hour meeting or to sign something. Yeah. It could have just been done online. Yeah. Well, and, and, and mm-hmm. obviously that, oh, that money is all, is all oil, you know? And so, yeah, exactly. so actually that, that's a, a big reduction in, in carbon, you know? Mm-hmm. So if we had been talking five years ago, Everyone was saying the future of the world is cities. You know, people are navigating towards cities, and that's where young people want to be, and the cultural and the action and all that. Um, I mean, do you think is that still the case? Because because what we're seeing now is, is with this fragmentation, people are, are moving kind of maybe to more rural areas or, or second tier cities. I know people from Silicon Valley are moving like the Austin area or mm. uh, Colorado and what have you, or even in Belfast. I mean, people have been moving. If they don't need to go in the city or commute, they've just been moving to Macrofelt or Toronto or wherever right. they may be from originally. So, do you think that kind of uh, the growth of the cities may kind of stall, or you, you still think maybe a mix of both? Or, or how do you see that going? Well, I, I, I think that's an interesting question, and I think it's probably the, the million dollar question. I, I think the problem is cities have become overpriced for the yeah. for the for the wage um, ecology that sits in them. You know, when, when, when I bought my house in Manchester, it cost, I bought it in 1988, it cost £30,000, and I was on £12,000 a year as a, a research fellow. And Mel, my partner, yeah. was doing a PhD and was on £4,000 from the ESRC yeah. as, a, as a grant, you know. And we could buy a, a nice terraced house in an up-and-coming neighbourhood and, and do it. Whereas that house, I, I sold it in the summer for £600,000. 
Whoa! You, you know, and, and, and therefore you'd need a, a £200,000 income to buy that house. And it, the, the street hasn't materially changed, really, in, in that time. That's insane. You know, and, 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 and I think that's, that's one of the problems with cities is that, you, it, you know, I was talking to people in New York City and they were saying you need a trust fund to live in New York if you're a young person. Yeah. And that, that can't be good for a city, you know. There's, there's no surprise that Berlin's been really successful um, over the past 20 years culturally. Because it's a really still a relatively cheap city to live in if you're a, if you're um, a young person, you know. Did Did you watch the Manktopia series about the property market in, in yeah. Manchester? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes, yeah. It it because um, I I found it I was fascinating, especially this kind of you know, this idea of like Russians and Chinese people just buying security boxes in the sky, you know, these kind of apartments off off plan, and they'll never set foot in them. I mean, it's a kind of a weird world isn't it mm. yeah well, one, one of my students did a fantastic um, thesis project when i when i worked at manchester where they, they had a an apartment that overlooked the beetham tower which was the largest residential tower in europe mm-hmm. and every and every evening at nine o'clock she took a photo of how many lights were on in the building and then yeah. she superimposed those photos on top of each other so she had she had 300 photos for near enough the whole year and Around about fifty percent of the flat flats had never had a light on in them. Wow, it's terrifying! So, so, so they were all speculative properties, you know, yeah. probably funded either Chinese or Russian or or you know somewhere somewhere. You know, so, so you realise that these aren't apartments; they're actually they're actually safe deposit boxes. Yeah, you know, technically know. aren't they? They're like giant safe deposit boxes where you put your you put your wealth in a in a box somewhere where no one can get to it or something, you know. And, and it's, it's it's an interesting problem for architecture because we like to think it's about people, but it's also about laundering excess capital. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, if, yeah, from a Marxist point of viewpoint, you know. I mean, on on the subject because we we we, see, we had the same problems in Ireland at, at the moment, north north and south is it's in a big housing shortage, probably probably more so in the Republic where it's like really really bad. Um, but they're building some houses near near me, and they're just building like one detached house, some uh like two semis. Okay, so three houses, and it's taken them about a year to do it. So every day I pass it when I'm walking the sun up the school, and it's fascinating to watch. You know the different see it developing, but I'm thinking to myself. Have we not? Are we not looking at now in the modern world of using some kind of more prefab processes to create houses in, in bulk? Because it still seems very, very slow and inefficient process. I mean, are we any better at at these kind of mass? Yeah, the, the, there are quite there, there there are quite a few systems for for building um, sort of volumetric ones and and, and yeah. also component based sort of modular systems. The main problem with them, particularly with housing, is that that your that especially on small sites, if you if you look at your your profit on 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 the site, it's probably from the last two houses on the site. You know, so if you've got say say if you've got ten houses on there, the the profit is all in the in, in those ten houses. And the problem is that the the systems aren't flexible enough to get enough properties on the site generally you have to do a skinny one here and one that bends around the corner there to fill the site up and so so it's the architecture that makes the money 
you, and not the building system. And, and, and the problem with that is that those volumetric systems don't allow for enough flexibility to, to fill sites efficiently. And, and that's why they're not so popular. You know, you get a lot more of that sort of stuff in office buildings or or in, um, you know, retail sheds and things. But in houses, you know, it, it, it needs careful curation of sites in order to maximize the potential on them. Okay, that is interesting. Because um, you, you kind of think, like, even in that situation where uh, I suppose something had to be custom designed, that you, you could still kind of send the plans to the kind of the prefab factory or whatever, he would, yeah. <laughs> you know, custom cuts. Because no idea I send, uh, you know, uh, what did I call it? Um, uh, call it? 3D printing and all these here types of things, you know, that, that, that they've got. It just does seem to be, because when, when you have a shortage of, of skilled workers, yeah. And bricklayers and plumbers and all that. I mean, to me, the only thing possible is to have some kind of prefab structure, yeah, kind of like the dead post-war. You know? Yeah, it, it, well, it's interesting because because people like Hansen do some quite interesting ones, and Balfour Beatties have done some houses. The problem is that you're limited to about two point nine meters on a road, so that limit, you know, which isn't really wide enough for for a room. You can go to 3.5 if you get a police escort and, and, you know, and then not every road can take those things, you know, and oh, yes. you know, so mean, yeah. quite, quite a few issues with them. 3D printing's quite interesting, but obviously we need insulation in the properties as well as concrete. So that, you know, it still means it's an on-site task. I, 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 I think, you know, I, I, I think it is coming, but it, but it, but it does have quite a few difficulties. The component based systems, which are, are easier like for example in in holland they have these um giant breeze blocks that that are sort of a meter by a meter and they assemble mm-hmm. the wall really quickly with with like sing with like hard with you know 20 breeze blocks rather than rather than 50 you know so that so they can build things quite quickly but then the the second fit of electricity and and um, hot water in there still takes time you know those things are quite complex and and pipes have a tendency to break in transit and uh, you know, and there's there's a lot of different issues, you know, to do with these things. Yeah, no, nothing's ever, ever simple. Um, recently as well, they're discussing like how we kind of retrofit um, housing to move away from from fossil fuels, which seems to me is going to be incredibly difficult. Because I looked into it myself because I've a was curious to try it, and for our free bed semi in Belfast, and I only spend about maybe four or five hundred pound a year in oil, you know, not yeah. much. It was going to cost about uh, 10 to 15,000 to put in a heat exchanger. Yeah. Right. And then when you talk to people who've got heat exchangers in, they kind of complain that, you know, they don't warm up uh, to the same extent, you know, as an oil or gas does. And then also your electric bill goes through the roof, like I won't believe. Mm-hmm. So you kind of think the task of actually switching away from fossil fuels for home heating and a lot of these things it is pretty it's a monumental one it certainly is yeah no I, i'm just i'm just putting a heat pump in my house at the moment um <laughs> i i already have um solar hot water in my house so i did solar hot water first that, that's been really quite successful i've got an evacuated yeah. tube collector on the roof and it produces hot water probably it, it does all my hot water demand up between February and November, so it's only only two months when I need I need to to use any fossil fuels for that. And I'm just changing to a heat pump now. But yeah, there are there are issues. But I, I'm I'm photovoltaicing the whole of my roof to to produce the electricity for the heat pump. So that that's one thing. And then I'm I'm putting in because I've got a 
bit of room, I'm putting in a really large um, hot water store so uh, so I can hopefully um, sort of charge up when my cells are doing well and and not use too much of the grid. But yeah, the, there are difficulties. The problem with heat pumps is that they're they're not great at producing. They're, they're great at transferring heat, but not great at producing a high quality of heat. You know, the yeah. temperature is generally quite low. You know, usually about forty five degrees C in the pipes. Whereas whereas your your boiler produces. 75 degrees centigrade in, in the mm-hmm. pipe so so obviously it's it doesn't have the intensity that that a, that, a, that a fossil fuel thing has but it's going to be a monumental thing but i would say save energy first you know so you, you're yeah. better spending the money on insulation yeah. insulation you know yeah. draft stripping and things like that before you before you get onto this the system you know and, right. and most give houses it, are it, people on that give everyone fleeces you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And see. Um, on the subject of cities, I mean, I have been in Belfast city centre, I think, once now in nearly two years. I, I took a trip down. And, I mean, I don't know if you're still in, in, in been in contact much with, with, with the council or I know you're in different yeah. groups, but... I mean, is are people nervous? Because I know I talked to a lot of people who have are absolutely... would be happy if they never have to set foot in Belfast city centre again for work or for mm-hmm. anything else. And I think I can't. I kind of wonder the council starting to get a bit nervous. Will will people ever really want to go back to offices and the commuting and all the rest of it? Yeah, there's a, there's a high street task force uh, which which I'm on. There's a range of people on that trying to trying to work out what to do. It, it's 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 a really really interesting problem. I, I was I was reading with interest not only um, how. Amazon have have destroyed the high street. You know they're now in in where, where they've built this huge Amazon um, distribution shed in in Swindon. They're now stealing the employees from all the all the yeah, businesses. Jobs. So so mm-hmm. eventually they're going to eat everything. You know, and and I think I think it's a problem. But but uh, but I think the problem is is bigger than that. I I I think we 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 misunderstood um, what city shopping was really about. It it was really about meeting. It was really about meeting and and being entertained and and being uh, and being present in a group and, and having having identity and less about the things and, and actually I, I don't think we've worked out how to how to how to make an uh, an environment that doesn't necessarily sell things that's also that that can be you know all those things you know at, at, at once and I think that that's going to take a bit of imagination I think about what cities are to become I think young people are still going to cities I think when you go around the city it's generally got more a higher proportion of young people than it had previously I think I think it's older people who are staying away yeah from it because I know what you may have seen in the news one of the Belfast groups uh, won the Turner Prize yeah. um, I forget what they're called but they had this kind of installation but a lot of the artists I was chatting to were saying that a big problem now in Belfast is there's just no studio space yeah. no, for artists to work yeah. um, and that's a problem because I mean arts bring a city alive and, and kind mm. of culture makes it's, it's kind of like the heart of the city so I mean I always think like that could be an, an easy one for the council to do more to kind of support artists and give them space and cheap rents and all that kind of good yeah, stuff yeah well, well I'm surprised that there aren't any bigger developers because in in um, the rest of the UK people like Urban Splash um, buy these post-industrial buildings and then what they do is they sit on them for five years and, and give them cheap rent to artists 
and then mm-hmm. artists occupy them for five years or something. And then it changes the neighborhood in which this building sat because people, young people get used to hanging out there and, and there's cafes open because all these artists are there. And then they develop the building and they move the artists on. And so they've used artists to, to rebrand space in a really effective way. And you could, you could imagine that in, in Belfast. I, I think Belfast is in an amazing position because when you look at the cost of real estate in, in Dublin, you know, artists just can't practice in Dublin. It's almost impossible. You know, whereas, yes. whereas Belfast still has a has a price. It's, it's still a global city, and it has a, a a real estate price that's affordable. I think I think it should really, really put a lot of effort into 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 creating those sorts of spaces because I think it could be a, a fantastic niche for for Belfast to become the the art city of of the island. You know, I really think so. Yeah, that that's that's a good point. I mean, I know even. Um because I always think that's a good option for Derry because people always say Derry should be like the Galway or the North you know it's kind of a very it's a small city could be arty could have a nice kind of vibe to it and there's a sense to it because I know uh, I I read this I don't know if you read this book uh, Rory Sutherland um, he's he's an advertising guy called the Alchemy and but part of his his thesis is that all organizations and councils they're just full of solicitors and accountants and bean counters and there's is very little diversity so everything's about pounds shillings and pence you know and about everyone wants to attract in um, multinational companies to fill grade a office space and buy cost of coffee (laughs) five times a day you know and this and so no one is kind of thinking, you know, it's kind of arts or culture or, you know, these yeah. kind of soft things yeah, I, that I, we kind of need I, to make life worth living. I, I really agree on that because, because, because you know, you know, we in, in Manchester, we've had a lot of debates about that because there's been no funding for any arts hardly in Manchester. Yet Manchester is famous for music, football, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not famous for grade one office space. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so actually, you know, how you brand a city, you know, you know yeah, I, I think you're really right that, that actually, you know, why do people want to go to Manchester? It's because of Oasis, you know, it's because of the Stone Roses, you know, it's because of those sorts of things. It's not, it's not because, you know, it's, it's, it's Britain's second city or something, you know, you know. Um, and, and I, and I think, I think that's, that's certainly true. And I think you're right that the, the, that and also I, th- I think the culture in these organizations such as city councils is is all about preventing failure you know rather than yeah. rather than making success happen and you know that's a different thing to measure you know you you the you know the, the council are very very frightened of failure you know i i know that from working for them you know an embarrassment you know they're, they're because they I, I think you could also say that a lot of the local newspapers spend their time trawling council failure you know, rather than mm-hmm. celebrating council success, so so they're a product of another environment, which is which is a really sort of hostile press. You know, yeah. I I also think that part of the issue was people and the middle class have kind of um, excused themselves from like civil civic life and politics. And I mean, for Northern yeah. Ireland, I mean, you can understand that obviously because it's been such a head wreck in the past. Yeah. But it's this kind of attitude of of not getting involved in civic life yeah. or politics so then it means that the people actually do I mean it's not a criticism of them because they're brave to do it but it just kind of means you have this very narrow viewpoint of people who are actually engaged 
in civic life. Yeah. And that is a problem, I mean, really, because we need more diversity in politics and in civic life across the whole spectrum, other than these kind of career politicians who have just risen up the ranks. You know? Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's true. We, I, I think I think our, our islands took on a, a sort of an American dream of the nuclear family and things, you know, that, that, you know, that has made an unfriendly society, you know, whereas in America, people are still incredibly friendly, you know, yeah. you know, you know, when I, when I moved onto the street here in Cornell, everyone came around with gifts, you, you know, to welcome me and, and, you know, Aww. into the street, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, in, in, in you know, you, you don't, I think I think that's disappeared out of out of our islands somewhat. I, I think I think we're fr- we're getting more fearful of people, you know, you know, and, and and I think and I think you're right. The middle class people in particular have disappeared out of out of civic life in 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 cities. You know, particularly in, you see that a lot in Northern Ireland because obviously there was a a flight to the to the burbs, you know, during the troubles, and and it's meant that the it's only recently really that that middle class people have have occupied the Omore Road or or you know Malone Road, you know, and there's more and more younger people occupying those spaces who who are likely to be the next middle class. So that that may change, but I think we need to start trusting people more, Brian. Well, we were actually discussing us some of one of our uh, WhatsApp group earlier on. Um, this because Norena Hertz, uh, the Lonely Century is a, is a book just been out mm-hmm. the past few months, mm-hmm. and I was reading it the other week, and one of her pieces in the book is as people get more lonely, they get more fearful and suspicious. And she thinks this is kind of the reason why uh, you know, the rise of the far right and conspiracy theories and these kind of doing you know, this incel movement yeah. you've probably heard about, you <laughs> yeah. know. And it's, it's just kind of a, a born out of loneliness, you know, those kind of people get kind of angry and, and isolated. And uh, I kind of, I, I think a lot of that is in action here with the pandemic. I mean, people are obviously very scared because it's a horrible time. And it is quite easy to sit in the house and watch Netflix yeah. and don't yeah. do anything, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, most, most Netflix is about murder and death, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I try not to watch things that involve killing people. And actually, you're very limited on Netflix about what you can watch that doesn't involve someone getting killed. You know, so you can yeah. see how it how it comes about. But, uh, but I think you're right, though. You see, see... When when I was a kid, you know, the whole neighborhood was built around the youth club attached to the church, you, you know, you know, and all those things. And, and and I met a vast number of people, you know, through you know community institutions, which which hardly exist now. You know, when when my son was was fourteen, there was nowhere for him to go. You know, yeah. you know, we 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 were going to a a youth club disco every Friday at 14, you know, and he had nowhere to go, you know, that all those sort of um, community systems had disappeared, you know, and, and I think, and I think that makes people like you say, lonely and fearful because we are a community, we are a, a communal per- sort of creature, aren't we? We live in, in small community groups, extended family groups, and they're, they're they've sort of disappeared, you know, it is because uh, there was a thing in the, in the paper last week um, that said in, in research in Scotland was that the average Scottish teenage boy was it seven hours or nine hours a day on, on screens. Yeah. I think it must be nine hours. Yeah. And it was just saying that the amount all their socialising now is is uh, within games. I know the, I know you can argue that they kind of wear these headsets and they're all talking to their mates yeah. and all that there, but just the sheer inactivity 
of, of young people now, yeah. you know, not leaving the house. And, and I know you sound like some kind of old, old sod complaining <laughs> about young people, but I, I think, I think I blame the parents that yeah. because we've, we've entered this Faustian bargain of you're too scared to let your kids go out and play in the street because of cars or pedophiles or kidnapping and all that. And you think because they're sitting in their bedroom playing the Xbox, you know, they're safe. But we're just kind of creating this generation who can't, no, no social skills are fearful. And you know from yeah, your yeah. students, they're all anxiety and depression yeah. and have all these social problems. Yeah, it's, a, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing that I know, I know with, with my son, you know, I, 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 you know, I was, I was having a chat with him. He's 20 now and I was having a chat with him in the pub. I said, I said, give me 10 reasons why, why you hate me as a joke and he and he said number one you never bought me a nintendo ds because <laughs> i was the, i was the bad parent that never let him go on the computer you know and, mm-hmm. and had to had to play out all the time you know and, and, and he now holds that <laughs> <laughs> against me forever you know you know but, but i think but but i i felt the same thing that that actually you know the the, the sort of the ability to read body language the the ability to 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 negotiate, you know, with people you don't know, you know, gets lost if you don't go out, you know, that they're, they're things that you learn from being out, you know, mm. you know um, did he, did he turn out okay? <laughs> no, <laughs> he's, he's, he's studying architecture at Glasgow school of art at the moment. So, so, oh, right. so uh, <laughs> he'll, 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 he'll make me a, you know, he'll, he'll ruin my reputation. I'm sure. Um, is, is that the, is that the Macintosh yeah, building? Yeah. Yeah. That burned, that burned down or something, yeah. or did they have to rebuild it? Yeah, they're, they're on the second rebuild now. So, yeah, the, the, it, it was nearly finished and it burned down again. Okay. You know. And where did he grow up in Belfast or in Manchester? He, he grew up in Manchester, yeah. Yeah, because it was always fascinating. Like, the first time I went to Glasgow, I was like, my God, this place is just like Belfast. I mean, it's incredible, the similarities and <laughs> yeah. these kind of post-industrial working-class cities. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot to kind yeah, of do it. It's, you know? it's halfway between Belfast and Manchester, isn't it? I, I, I think it's, it's, it's sort of got... It's got the politics of Belfast with the, with the sort of grandness of Manchester, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, because that, that bit about you were saying uh, when you were growing up about all the different groups, because I know I was listening to a podcast the other day about that. They were saying, you know, in the 60s and 70s, people, you'd have like works outings and you'd have like uh, work chess clubs and work tennis clubs and and the social stuff and um, all that's kind of been lost, as you say, in society. And mm. I think we, we've kind of, we've thrown the kind of, I mean, we're richer now, but we're more alone. Yeah. And we're working and we're harder. we're more depressed. And, yeah, we're yeah. working harder than we've ever worked, you know, longer hours, you know, particularly these two islands have the, have the longest working hours in Europe, don't they? You know, and which, which, which is really interesting, you know, so actually there's less time to volunteer for things you know to be part of things you know i, I think and i think you're right though about about the the sort of lack of trust that comes from that and it, and it, and, it, and it creates it as well you see it's self-fulfilling isn't it when you start to not trust society you, you start to withdraw from it so there's less things less volunteers less people doing things you know and, and i think it's a really interesting problem for cities because cities are about People getting together. Neighborhoods were built around community intervention in the in places, whereas now neighborhoods are just an, an address. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't even know your neighbor half the time. No. no. Or more, more, more of a problem. Maybe you don't want to know your neighbor. That's even more of an issue. You know? 
because uh, that that is a problem because I, I know I hear that a lot from people telling me or you see it on kind of uh, I'm on that Reddit and every week on the Northern Ireland sub uh, subreddit there's somebody saying how lonely they are and have no friends and other people are chiming in saying they're kind of bored and no, nothing to do and no hobbies it's kind of a weird thing because we have this problem where people people work a lot, right? Mm. But they actually say that we've never had as much leisure time. Yeah. But we just kind of spend it staring at our phones and screens. Yeah. You know, we don't really kind of do any hobbies anymore. And it, it's it's hard, you know, for to get off your phone and actually do something else. Yeah. Well, 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 well it's amazing, isn't it? Because because I, I was thinking that um, last year, where you know, I, I used to play football you know soccer for you know for a team mm-hmm. and every pitch would be black because there'd be 20 games every saturday on it and every sunday and now you go to the pitches and they're all green you know there, there is there's far less football going on um, than there was you know you go to any stretch of water and there's no one fishing when i was a kid there were people around every dirty puddle there were people fishing you know and now there's nobody nobody fishing you know basically i I think we've gone from from an active sort of pastime to like a passive one watching netflix you know surfing on our phone and 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 these are these again are isolating things you know that they they (laughs) but and and i i think they make quite interesting problems for how you because the other thing about the about the the social media is you only meet people like yourself you know, it's a, the great thing about cities is diversity, isn't it? That, that so many different sorts of people, and then suddenly you're on Facebook and everyone agrees with you about everything. Yeah, you know, know. It's, it's, and that creates intolerance and and difficulty in dealing with difference. You know, which could be negotiated perhaps previously. Because the diversity thing, because people are saying that, that that the pandemic was like a lot of middle class people sitting at home in their nice houses just ordering things online to be brought to the maybe working class people. (laughs) And and it is very, I mean, as you know, in the States, I mean, it's incredibly easy to kind of live in these kind of gated communities and just live in your own little bubble of privilege and (laughs) screw everybody else, you know? Yeah, I can really Mm -hmm. see that. Well, especially in the cars part of that, of course. You know, because you don't even set foot on the pavement. You know, you get in the car yeah. and you drive, and you drive to a to a car park at work, and and you never actually meet anybody who isn't in the either your home bubble or your work bubble. You know, and and and, and that's a it's a real challenge for cities, I think, about about what they're going to be like. I I, I think I think the advantage is that people don't live forever. You know, different generations come along, and and it's all new to them and they get into the things we got into, you know, going out, partying, going to see bands, you know, shooting the, you know, the crap at various events. You know, that's what we did as, as 20 somethings. And and I presume that 20 somethings will always do stuff like that. You know? Well, I think, I think we should, um, also, uh, Older people should be doing that as well because that's that's what life's about, isn't it? Really getting out there and you know yeah. doing stuff. You know? Yeah, and, when, and and actually, well, actually, one thing you find if you if you you know I I only go to certain gigs these days, but when I go there, the age of the people at them is so old now it's like terrifying. You know, I, I saw yeah. I saw a certain ratio just before lockdown who are Manchester 
factory mm-hmm. factory band, and the, and the the average age must be sixty in, in the audience. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> terrifying. You know, it's like uh, you know. Uh, well, at least they're still going strong. I I seen the uh, God, what do you call them? The Irish rock band, Ash or something like that, or U two. No, no, the old the old ones from the from the nineteen seventies. Dark Doom and. Uh, horse lips, oh, right, horse lips. Okay. Uh, they're a very famous yeah. Irish rock band, right. and geez, the average age your audience was in the seventies. But <laughs> my God, it was a fantastic gig. They can still rock it. So I mean, there's a lot to be said for uh, for keeping going. Yeah, yeah. I, I, t- I mm. took my I, I, just before my dad died. I took my dad to see the Dubliners in in Manchester, mm-hmm. and and um, you know, he he was in tears at the end of the the concert about how old everyone you know, <laughs> oh. <laughs> he'd, he'd wasted life. It was it was um, it was quite sweet, really. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm gonna have to yep. stop it there because I have to pick up Junior from from school. Um, Greg, as always, I mean, the time's flown there. It was a, it was a great chat, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, great. Uh, and uh, I think from that, I mean, what you say is right. I think communities. And if that's if I was in government or council, that's the one thing I would be thinking of is how you can encourage people to kind of do community stuff and get together and. Um, that is just such a no-brainer, isn't yeah. it? Arts and cultures and all this kind of stuff. It really is, and getting people to take and part in 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 the in their shaping their place. Yeah, I really think. Yeah, it, it, and it doesn't have to cost much either. I no. mean, and people think these things are, and it, I mean, I think you could almost have like we need more, f- f- no, in in in, the, in Europe or South America, more of these fiestas yeah. and events, yeah. and you know, just get people out and about, you know, and for it. Right, excellent. Well, as a professor. Greg Keith is professor of school of natural and building environment at Queens. And when, when are you back at Queens, Greg? Yeah, well, I'm back at Christmas, but I, but I'm, I am going to come back here next semester as well for because I've got some research to do. So um, I'm, I'm having. Uh, a what is what has been a what has been a critic do? Just kind of walk around the place criticizing their architecture? Or just <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm running a studio with with um, um, some master's students about climate change, uh. and um, I'm generally reviewing work around the school. Yeah, great. Okay. <laughs> Well, hopefully um, we might, might see you at some stage for a live event when, when civilization returns. Yeah, yeah hope. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> All right, perfect. All right. Thanks, Greg. Okay, see you later.